So we, we have been working through a sermon series that's called Sent. And really, our focus has been what's called Mission 333, that over the next three months, June, July, and August, we want to engage, let's say, three people. Now, you can engage way more than that. You'd be an overachiever. But we really want you to engage three people in, that it's already in your life, or maybe the Lord puts them in your life, uh, and do three specific things, prayer, care, and then share the good news of Jesus. And so uh, last week, Pastor Kevin handled and cared for the care portion. Well, this morning, we're, we're going to be looking at the share portion. But, but here's a warning. This text is not primarily about how to share the gospel. You've got to know that. There's so much beauty in this text. And, and if, you're, if I'm alive long enough and you're here long enough, you'll hear me preach this sermon and this text numerous times from different angles. This morning, though, we're going to have an emphasis on really two things. I want you to identify yourself with the woman in the text, because that's you. You're like, no, I'm Jesus. No, you're not. Um, I want you to identify yourself with the woman in the text, but then we're also going to take the look at what does Jesus do, and how does Jesus bring the Word of God to bear on her life? Because I think there's a lot to learn here that we can learn as we seek to share the gospel with the people that the Lord puts in our lives. So if that is a, a little introduction, let's get to work. What we're talking about with Mission 333 is not a program that at the end of August you can check it off your list and you're done. What we're talking about is, is a complete reshaping of how you view your life under the rule and reign of God. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. Living a missional lifestyle is a complete reshaping of how you approach everything of every day of the week, not just Sundays. And, and so God, listen, he has sovereignly placed you where you live, where you work, and where you play in order to be his ambassador to the people around you. And, and so we have the privilege of praying for them. Hopefully you've been doing that. We have the privilege of, of, of showing care to them. Hopefully you're, you're thinking of ways, praying for ways that the Lord might give you opportunity to care for them. But we can't stop there. And I think a lot of times this is where churches stop. They just terminate on that. Yeah, I can pray and that's great. I can show some care. That's great. There, there has to come a point where words, gospel words, the truth of the word comes from your mouth to their ears and you give them an opportunity to respond. And I'm not talking like drive-by evangelism. What I'm talking about is, is real thoughtful gospel work with the people in our lives. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And I hope you see that in John 4. There's one main point of John 4. You ready? I'm just going to say at one point. You're like, well, this should be a quick sermon. It might be, but maybe not. Here's the point. Jesus is the Savior who can give living water to thirsty sinners. That's the point. It's in your map. You'll see it there if you open it up. So let's, let's jump in, and we're going to take it just in chunks. Look at the first, we're going to call it the scene. And I, I say the scene because I want you to envision it. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. But you ought to read the Word, not shove a bunch of emotion in it, but know there's emotion in it and read it. Imagine if someone were to actually portray this in a video. What would it look like, right? So that's what we're going to think about as we look at the Word. Notice Jesus... He's, he's getting some, some flack from the Pharisees, right? I'm not going to read everything because that's already been done. So we're in John 4, 1 to 42. So he's getting some flack. He's, he's, he's making more disciples than John. So he leaves, right? And, and he departs. Look where he departs. Judea and departed again for Galilee. So he's heading back to his home base, let's say. But look at the words where it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now you might think, well, that's not that exciting. But actually, it's, it's, it's really profound because here's the thing. He didn't have to pass through Samaria. If you know the, the region there, as a matter of fact, Jews almost always never went through Samaria. But here was the problem. If, if he did go around Samaria, that's a six-day journey probably, if he's just gone at a normal pace. You can do it in three days if you go through it, but they never went through it because there's such racial tension. But Jesus had to. And when it says had to here, it doesn't mean there was no other way, although there was no other way. He had a very divine appointment with a particular woman, and he had to. He was compelled. He could go no other way. And so he goes, 
comes to the town Samaria called Sychar, near the field Jacob had given, right? But notice, so he's sitting there, he's wearied, we could talk all day about that, we're not going to, but he's sitting by the well, right? And look what hour it is, the sixth hour. Now we don't use that kind of language. The sixth hour is noon, noon. Now, how many people have ever lived in a desert, visit maybe a desert, been in a desert area? Hands. Okay, a couple of you. All right, cool. So if you live there, you know how important water is. Now, you probably didn't think about it because you went like this and it came out of spigot. But it's pretty important. Well, they had a well that they would go to. And I don't think it takes like a genius to figure out you would probably go when. When would you go to the well if you needed water for everything you do, which you do? Morning or evening? Probably both, quite honestly, because you're probably not able to carry enough judgment. When would you not go? noon so there he is jesus hanging out and here comes a lady and she is going to get some water that should stand out it gives us a little clue so it says a woman from samaria came draw water and jesus said to her give me a drink why well because all the disciples went into town to get food like how many people does it take to grab some grub at lunch apparently 12 right so they go and they get some grub and jesus the samaritan woman said to him how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She's really confused why, why this man's asking her for a drink. And we'll get into the reasons why. But, but I, want you to, I want you to know, man, this text is such a living parable of really Jesus and the shepherd gone out for the one. Leaving the 99 to seek the one. And she's the one. Right? And so we're going to learn a couple of things about missional living with hopes of sharing the gospel. And so let's look at it. The first one is gospel sharing requires you to be near people. <laughs> well, duh. Right? Like, like when, even when I wrote it, I'm like, surely everybody knows that. We're not trying to save squirrels. Now, if you like squirrels, that's cool. Give them some peanuts. Do the thing. But that's not why we're here. If you're going to see people come from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, you've got to be around people who are in the domain of darkness. You've got to go near them. You've got to get to know them. Um, There's a man that said this. Listen to this quote. He said, we are to be light in the darkness, speaking of the church. Yet some of us have spent so much time being light among other light that we often forget the fact. Yeah, you know, there's times where it's when, when talking to people and they say, well, I, I just, I don't even know any lost folks. I don't even know people who are far from Christ. That has to change, <laughs> right? I don't think that's normative for the folks that are here because we've been thrust into that moment. But it's real easy to get inside, let's call your holy huddles, and only hang out with the church. Now listen, you need to hang out with the church. You need to, to live and to love and to serve. That is your main community, right? But if you have no one in your, your network of people that, that need to know the love of Christ, it's time to get outside of that, right? And if you're, if you're only hanging out with lost people and you're never spending time with the church, you yourself probably will be drifting before long. So we need the church, we need to be with the church, but we need to be in the city, we need to be in our neighborhoods, we need to be in our community, and and be around the people who need to be in Christ. And so the first point is, gospel sharing requires you to be near people, I think we see that right here. The second thing though is, gospel sharing requires you to be intentional. Intentional, right? Ask yourself, where and who are the people that are already in my life who are not walking with Christ. Because what I'm not talking about is adding to your life. I'm not talking about that because so many people are like, I can't handle one more thing. I'm asking you to think differently about what you already do and where you already are and think about your life on mission. For some, I got to tell you, this won't be hard. For others, it's going to take some effort, right? What do I mean by that? Um, When I worked at Radio Shack for years, I was always around people who didn't know Christ, right? Since becoming a pastor, much of my time is spent with those who are in Christ or at least working through that. It takes me more work to get around people who don't know Christ. But that work is something I'm I'm committed to doing. But it takes intentionality. Uh, It takes intentionality to live like that. You got to slow down. We're always in a rush. Well, I'm always in a rush. You, you, you got to dial it back. 
to do that, you've got to find people interesting, though. You really do. They're all around, and, and you've got to see the people right in front of you. C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, there are no ordinary people, right? There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Do you find the people in your life and around you interesting? I mean, I hope you do, because they all have a story. Every one of them have a story, and most people want to tell you their story. Not all. But many will if you'll take the time to get to know them. But you must know that like, the people that are in our life are made in God's image and they have a soul. This woman that Jesus is interacting with is made in God's image and she has a soul. And she matters. She might not matter to a lot of people, but she matters to God. God knit her in her mother's womb. And everyone else may have rejected her, but Jesus goes to the well. Because Jesus sees her right? We need to see the people in front of us. To do that, it takes intentionality. It takes much thought to slow down and say, this person's not just here to get my coffee and make sure they get it to me while it's hot and ready. This person matters. This person has a name. This person has a story. Now, what you can't do is just slow up the rest of the world at the Starbucks line and say, tell me your story. Tell me your name. Like, because the people behind you are going to get upset, right? But what you can do is be intentional enough to go to the same places and, and, and actually slowly engage folks and not expect that it happens overnight, right? There's no ordinary people. People matter. And, and we're here to bring the gospel to them. So slow down, be intentional. It's exactly what's happening with Christ here. The next thing we see, though, is gospel sharing requires you to cross cultural barriers. It really does. I mean, that's exactly what's happening here with Jesus. In Jesus' time and day at that moment, Samaritans and Jews, there was a real tension. And it was tense, right? More than we can actually get into right now. Why was that? Well, because in 2 Kings, what happened, there were 10 tribes out of 12 tribes of Israel that got removed and carried away by captivity by the Assyrians. And what happened is they started to intermarry. And when they started to intermarry, they started to have kids. And essentially, they were half-breeds right? But here's the other thing. They were then worshiping false gods in that moment. And, and they were foreigners. So as a result, they were a blended race with a blended syncretistic religion. And because of that, they were filled with tons of pagan religions and beliefs and practices. So Jews, let's say pure Jews, did not like them. They thought they sold out they sold out God, they sold out the people of God, and, and not only that, but there's more cultural barriers, because in that culture, men didn't befriend women, right? It might seem strange to you now, because that's not our culture. Jews did not be befriend Samaritans, and upright rabbis definitely did not befriend nasty sinners like this woman. You say, why do you say she's a nasty sinner? Well, because all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. But I think we're going to see some clues about this particular woman. But notice, Jesus crosses all those barriers. Jesus lovingly engaged this woman. Kindly, by the way. How did he do it? By simply asking her for a favor and treating her as a friend. He saw her. He just asked, would you get me some water? The question for you is, who do you avoid because you don't understand them. You don't take the time to understand them. Maybe you just don't like them. What barriers, these are reflection questions, what barriers do you need to cross? It might not even be this extreme. It might just be an age gap, right? It's so easy just to hang out with people the same age as us. But if you do that, you'll miss out. You'll miss out, like for me, hanging out with a guy like Ross. And we need to hang out more, Ross. But it's another story for another time. You, you, you miss out on hanging out with like these two sweet kids, right? They have a lot to teach you. Are you learning, right? So it can be a lot of different barriers, but if you just hang out with the people that are just like you, you're missing out, the world's missing out, and the church ought to be a place where all those barriers come down for the sake of the gospel. And that takes intentionality. It takes work. By the way, just a side note, this is why our church found value to be on Pittsburgh Street while the punk rock concerts were going on and people were drinking and churches were wondering, like, why are you here? And I'm like, why aren't you? Like, why aren't you? We weren't drinking. We were just enjoying the people that were around us. That was a cultural barrier, but it's not that hard. Why? Because they're human. 
It's not hard. So you've got to get past the fear, the insecurity, and, and just know them. Ask questions. Get to know them, right? So, all right. So that's scene one. But the story continues. And, and let's call it verses 10 through 15. Let's work through those now a little bit. So Jesus answered her. Remember, she's a little feisty. She's like, how is it you, a Jew, ask me, a woman of Samaria, for a drink? Now, I'm reading it that way. That's how I hear it. Maybe she's not feisty, but I bet she probably is. And look what he says. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He's so, so good. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep, right? Where, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and he drank from it from himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, listen, everyone who drinks of this water, he's, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, right? Even if you get the smart water from 7-Eleven, you've got to buy more. And how does water become smart? It doesn't. How does it make you smart? It doesn't. So quit wasting your money, right? <laughs> but that's another story for another day. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Well, he's not talking about H2O here. The, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. <laughs> the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. <sighs> Jesus is masterful here, right? He, he takes every opportunity to teach. Do you see the intentionality? It's just a simple thing. Give me a drink. You ain't got nothing to get it. I know. I got some water you can't get, though, unless I give it to you. And you should want this. Why? Because you'll never be thirsty again. Huh? Oh, it's a hook. And, and she's like, well, I'll take some of that. Where do you get that? Notice the metaphor. He's using just plain old H2O water to speak about this woman's need for salvation. Every human being is thirsty. The Bible uses this, this picture of thirst all the time. Jeremiah 2 says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be utterly desolate that my people have committed two evils, that they, they have abandoned. I'm, I'm coming from my brain, so if it's not the exact words, this is a new paraphrase. But they have abandoned the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns but they can't hold water. So the two evils that, that all humans have committed is, is that they have left the one where there's life to be found, everlasting life, God, and sought to find life in creation instead of finding it in the Creator. And, and God says this is a great evil. And this is exactly what's happening with this woman. But can I just tell you, that's exactly what happens with every human being apart from the grace of God to open our eyes to see our need for a thirst that this world does not offer. And Jesus is revealing that to her right here, right now. He recognizes that she needs more than just simple, let's, let's call it H2O. What she needs is she needs is a cleansing water that will satisfy the thirst of her soul. She needs the, the water that only her creator can give her, and you and I do as well. And, and if you're here and you're trusting in Christ and you're in Christ, that means you've recognized this need. And you've went to the gospel of grace and you've received and you've drank in all the beauty that Christ is for us through his life, death, and resurrection. So he, he brings that up. Well, notice, so what do we learn from this? Well, gospel sharing requires you to be an active listener. You know what I mean by that? Like, you're looking for clues. You're, you're, you're thinking about, is there, not that people are a project. You've got to be very careful to not view people like that. But is there an angle to bring a gospel word in? And when I say a gospel word, I don't mean all the words, right? Like, hey, this, man, this cappuccino is hot. You know what else is hot? Hell, right? And, and I got to tell you, like, if you don't know Jesus, that's where you're going. But do I got some good news for you? Right? And then you go into the gospel. And you can do that. I think you, you want to pray about it. But I, I'm reminded of the words, listen, uh, where, where someone was critical of D.L. Moody's work of evangelism. And, and he said, you know what? I like the way I do evangelism better than the way you don't. <laughs> okay. So if you, you want to do the whole hot thing, I mean, give it a go. But... But I think if you're just an active listener and you're engaging people and you're noticing what clues are they dropping, what, what are they saying, where is the 
pain? Where is the need? Where are they thirsty? Where are they putting their identity? Where is it that they're seeking to find life in a broken cistern so that you, in the right time, might be able to just put a drop into their thought or a stone into their shoe so that they walk away a little uncomfortable. But they also know, man, that, that person didn't try to do some drive-by evangelism, but they, they listened to me. They heard me, right? And, and I'll tell you, I love the way Francis Safer says it. He says, listen, if I have only one hour with someone, I will spend the first 55 minutes asking questions and finding out what is troubling their heart and mind. And then I will share something of truth. See, see we, don't, we don't generally think of evangelism as listening. And there's good reason for that, by the way, because evangelism is gospel sharing. That's what it is. It's proclamation. It's speaking words, right? But, but notice, that's exactly what's happening here. He's speaking words, but it's after listening. It's after observing. He's very intentively listening. Do you do that? See how they just all click? You've got to be around people. You've got to slow down. You've got to listen. You've got to be intentional. You must be hearing what's being said. And, and I'm so proud of the way many of you have done that. I've heard reports about that. I mean, I think about a particular lady at, um, at a restaurant that, that Kevin, Hope, Jesse, and I, early on, even before we ever moved to Greensburg, we had an opportunity to do that. I think about Eli had an opportunity with a young man over at Jay Corks who was waiting on him, who, who brought the gospel to bear on his life, which literally changed the trajectory of this young man's life. We're not talking, you don't have to build friendships for 80 years. That happened in one evening. One afternoon, and, and the young man's been walking with the Lord since. Now, does that always happen? No, it doesn't. But it happens because you notice them. Man, if people think you're a, you're, I'm just a project to you for whatever your little mission 333 is, you're, you're not loving people. You're loving yourself in that moment, but, but that needs to change. It's a, it's, a, it's a posture of heart. What if they never come to faith in Christ? Do you still love them? Do you still see them? Do you still serve them? And I hope, I hope, because, I mean, I've, I've seen the Lord through tons of gospel work and sharing for 20 years and, and not come to faith. And then in his kindness, 21 year, boom, they come to faith. But they may never come to faith. We don't do this to get something from someone. We do this because we've received living water. And it's got to spill out over your heart and out your mouth to the people that are thirsty around you. That's what we're talking about, right? So, look at the, by the way, look at the last sentence that I just read in verse 15. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Listen, Jesus is an active listener because you can almost, I mean, if this was a Baptist church, you could just cue it up, man. The, the, the piano or whatever would start going. Every eye closed, every head down, every hand up. Who wants to receive Jesus? Come on down. Because she's like, give me that water. I want that water. You're ready to get saved. Let's go, right? Baptism. But because he's listening, he knows that's not what she's talking about. She still doesn't get it. She's not understanding. She's actually not picking up what he's laying down. And, and I'll tell you what, too many times we want easy believism and we don't do the hard gospel work. So someone's like, well, man, I'd like my life not to stink and I'd like to not go to hell. Sure, I'll receive Jesus. But can I just tell you, your work's not done there. Because you would have to be I'm trying to think of a kind word, but still gets at it. Just fill in your own blank, because I'm going to get in trouble. That I, I don't want my life to be awesome, and, and I, and I want to go to hell. Like, you'd have to be an idiot. But that doesn't mean you love Jesus. It doesn't mean you love Jesus. So many people receive a Jesus, not the Jesus, because they actually just want something from him. They don't want him. It's not what we're talking about. And so Jesus knows this. And so look what, look what happens next. He didn't take the hanging softball, by the way. He didn't say, well, sure, i got some living water for you. Here you go. No, what's he do? Look what he does in verse 16 through 18. <laughs> he said to her, he said, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. 
For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. You, you can almost, and I'm going to push this a little further and then I'll back up. You can almost hear it right now. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Or like Maury, right? Like who's the baby's daddy? Like this is the pain point. Jesus is just putting his finger on it. I don't think it's, it's a big leap to assume this is why she's there at noon. Imagine being an outcast of outcasts. Samaritans are outcasts. This woman's an outcast of them. She has no people. He, he says, go get your husband. You're still not understanding your thirst. You're still not understanding your need. But let, let me see if I can help you, Jesus says. How does he do it? He doesn't say, I know all about you. He says, hey, go, go get your husband. He asks her a question. You can almost imagine her face just falling. Ah, I don't have a husband. Oh, I know. I mean, this is a wild moment. I know. You've had five. And, and, and the man you're living with right now, he's not your husband. It's pain. He's touching the pain point. That's, by the way, that is gospel work. Jesus knows our deepest, darkest secrets. He knows all the things you, you just think, man, if, if they knew that, would they love me? Would they see me still? So he requests that she goes get her husband before giving her living water. And, and what it is, it's, it's really a clever attempt to expose her sin and her shame. And you might think, well, that's, that's, that seems unkind. But Jesus is perfect. He's perfect love. He's perfect mercy. He's perfect grace. It's actually the most loving thing he could do. Do you see it? Because if you've come to, to receive living water... What you've got to know is you've seen the greatness of our God and you've seen, I am not worthy of this kind of love. Because if not, you'll think Jesus owes you something. He owes you nothing. And yet he gives you everything through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is a spiritual surgeon in this moment. And it's a perfect cut to reveal her sin and show her the thirst that she actually has the naming, by the way, the naming of the woman's sin in this particular moment is the turning point in the gospel conversation. She's exposed. The charade's up. So, so what do we learn? Well, we learn that gospel sharing requires you to touch on pain points. I think probably everybody's like, yeah, active listening, cool. Get around some lost people, yeah, right? Like, touch on pain points. Ugh. I don't want to do that. So many times people shy away from going where they need to go because they wrongly think that this is actually mean. There's a way to do this that's mean. Not having real relationship, that'd be mean. I think about it as a bank account. You better have a lot of investments and deposits into the friendship before you ever take a withdrawal. Or you're just unkind. But I tell you what, if all you've done is drop money off at the bank for three years and you've never talked about the big old thing that everybody knows about, you're, you're, you actually are loving your comfort more than you're loving the person you're witnessing to. Well, they might run. They might leave. They might. They might. But do you love their soul more than you love your comfort? That's the question. And Jesus, he, he loves her. Think about nurses. Nurses are tough. If they're good, they're definitely tough. Right? I remember after my, my wreck and I had 18 broken bones, we had this one lady, man, I, I did not like to see her coming because I knew she's going to make me get out of bed she's going to make me do things I didn't want to do and I thought she's so mean but she actually was was helping me get to a point where I could live again where I could walk again and and, and it was painful it was really painful but she's actually the most caring woman ever she was doing what was necessary for my well-being not just my temporal moment right that's gospel works that's what we're talking about in this moment to bring the light of truth into the darkest parts of people's lives is very uncomfortable work but it is work that is needed and it is loving and by God's grace his wisdom and the spirit which he's given all who believe in him we should seek for that wisdom we should seek for that moment we shouldn't just try to stick our thumb into the wound that's gaping but if he gives you the opportunity there has to come a point where you talk and you bring to light this particular situation so that it actually can be healed. Because that's exactly where he goes next. And by the way, 
Let's not, be, let's not forget, in John chapter 3, 19 through 20, it says this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love their darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light. Right? Why? Lest their works be exposed. Why does that matter? Because people... Everyone in this city at some level is a victim of the fall. At some level. Some people more. Some people have grown up in broken homes, broken systems, had parents who maybe were physically, mentally, all the abuse. So they have a, a victim sense. That's true. But can I just tell you right now, victim's the new thing that our culture just loves to grasp onto as the new identity. Everyone's a victim. But can I tell you right now, those who are far from Christ, fallen in sin, are yes victims, but, but you're also, they're lovers of darkness. They're, that's exactly what it says in the text. Now, th- that's, that seems like, you can't say that in our culture. I'm saying that. Why? Because the Bible says that. The Bible says that for those who do wicked things, hates the light, does not come into the light. Why? Well, because their works will be exposed. I don't want people to know what's happening here. But, but notice the verse right before that. The light has come into the world and people loved. They love the darkness. Scott Rising for 23 years loved the darkness. I loved it. I wasn't a victim of it. It's where I wanted to play. It was home. It was where I was comfortable. Light and truth came into my life. I, I just closed all the blinds. I don't want it. The gospel flows best through wounds. It cracks open the window. It cracks open the door. And if you're going to be proficient in sharing the gospel, you must go places they don't want you to go. Or they'll never go. I mean, if you're just like, well, I'm just really nice, and here's an apple pie. By the way, give apple pies away. That's good. But there's got to come a point where you say, listen, you're drinking from a broken cistern. Don't use that word. No one understands that. You're trying to get life from this relationship and it keeps coming up empty for you. And the reason is because you are created to have life in Christ. And you got to know something. Christ is not a killjoy. Christ has come that you might have life and have life abundantly. And so the things you're trying to find life in for a season, they might, they might satisfy, but they're going to come up empty again. You got to go to him and drink. Oh, he's made a way for you to drink. Do you know that he loves you? Like, that's what we're talking about in those moments. If you're going to be, like, seeing the people around you, what makes them tick? What's their passion? It might be a good thing. It might be, man, I just, I would, life would be great if I just had a husband. But that's a good thing. God's wired you to do. It might be, man, my life would be great if I just had a different husband. That's it's not great. And it won't work. You get another husband, you get five husbands, the guy you could be shacked up and giving yourself away for, but none of it's going to satisfy the innermost parts of your heart. Well, then I'll just go do something else. I just got to find myself in my American dream. Well, that dream's looking a little different than a lot of people were hoping for. Everywhere you go to drink, it's going to come up empty unless you drink from the fountain of grace. Christ offers himself in that way. Evangelism is not doing something to someone. It is literally doing something for the sake of their soul. You you won't share the gospel out of guilt. You might for a little bit, but it will wear off, I promise you. It's going to come from the overflow of, oh, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Oh, and I want you to drink deeply from the fountain I've been able to receive. Can Can I introduce you to Christ? Can I, can I tell you some good news? That's what we're talking about. This is what it means to be a good news people. But he, but he, touches, he touches on the part she doesn't want. Well, the story continues. Verse 19 through 26. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> you, I mean, how did you know that? This is before the days of Instagram. I know you weren't stalking me. I mean, our fathers, notice, she switches gears here. Our fathers, they worshipped on, on this mountain, Mount, Mount Gerasene. 
But, but you, you know, you say that in Jerusalem is the place that people ought to worship. So, so what else do we learn? We learn that gospel sharing requires you to be flexible. He doesn't say, no, 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 no. I said, go get your husband. He doesn't say, no, 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 no. We're going to talk about the, the thing that you've got going on. She's like, well, will you touch that? Don't, don't go there. Hey, let, okay, you're a religious fella. Um, what do you think about, what do you think about like coexisting? I mean, what do, you, what do you think about old earth and, and young earth? And, and like, I'd love to hear about that. What is your end times theology? Like, she's going anywhere. Just don't go there. And he, he just, he, he rolls with it. I would be like, yeah, let me tell you what I think about dinosaurs. Like, he doesn't fall for it. But, but he goes with it. But he's still aiming for the same place. He says, well, woman. He doesn't say, woman. Right? Like, he says, woman. Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You, you worship what you do not know. Oh, would you ever say that in evangelism? No, that, that would seem rude. Are you calling Jesus rude? You worship what you do not know. Oh, he says, but we worship what we know for salvation has come from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Look, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. I'd love to talk all about that, but we don't have time. But, but notice that. Think about that this week. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. So she's got a little understanding about what's going on. He who is called Christ. When He comes, He, he will tell us all things. Listen, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you. By the way, in the original language, it says, I am. It doesn't say, I am he. It just says, I am. Why? Because she knows the first five books of the Bible. They, they had the Pentateuch as Samaritans. And, and she knows the great I am. And he says, I am. It's the first I am of the book of the I am's. And who does he give it to? A Samaritan woman. I am. You know, the one you're longing for? I'm him. <laughs> this is beautiful. Jesus goes after the heart. He reveals her sin problem. And, but he's, he's saying it's ultimately, it's a worship problem. Oh, you want to go there? We'll go there. We'll go there. You have a worship problem. You're worshiping at the altar of your bed and it's not satisfying you. You're longing for a man, but no man on this earth is going to satisfy you like God who is here to actually satisfy you. You know you're waiting for Messiah? I'm the Messiah. Whew. And you can't do that, right? Like, by the way, I hope that's, some things are prescriptive, some things are descriptive. You don't get to go around and be like, hey, go get your husband. Right? I heard about you. You don't get to do that. But he does that. He goes for her heart. He places his finger right on the shameful sin that she doesn't want to talk about. Why? To reveal it's a worship problem. So that he could, so that he could reveal it. Why? So that he could clean it. So that he could heal it. So that he could forgive it. So that he could replace it with grace and the Holy Spirit and have her be a worshiper in truth and grace. Do you have wounds or sins that need to be brought into light? Right? What areas of your heart are you like, man, if anyone knew that? I want you to know God wants to heal it. Who does? Scary. Oh, I don't want to go there. Well, he wants to go there. Why? Because he wants you to be set free from all the things you put your identity in and root it and ground it in the fact that God loves you. He's forgiven you. He's healed you. He's made you whole in him. And what is in the courtroom of heaven will be one day when he returns or you go to be with him. Right? We're not healed on this side of the cross perfectly. You and I have things that still stick to us. Hanging out with a friend this week, there was a word that was brought up, and immediately that person went right back to that moment. Well, he wants to put his hand, his finger on that and bring healing. And that's what he does here. But, but listen, here's what's so important. What do we learn from this situation? Well, the gospel sharing requires you to patiently speak the gospel with truth and grace. Jesus is full of truth and grace. I've seen people share the gospel with tons of truth and no grace. I've seen it. 
it's not very effective, and it's really, it's actually not the gospel. Because in order for it to be the gospel, it has to be truth and grace. It's just, you know, iron sharpens iron. I hear people say that. Well, yeah, it does, but iron against a tin can only damages. Right? Truth and grace. We don't shy away from the truth, but we bring it with a posture of humility. I know because I've been here, sis. I've been here. My man, listen, I know I've drank from the broken cisterns. Let me tell you about the God who loves you. And, and, and don't shy away. Don't shy away from the truth or you'll present a different Christ to them. That's not what we're talking about. It helps nobody. It, help, it helps nobody to be ashamed of the Word of God because the Word of God is how God most prevalently reveals Himself to His people by His Spirit. So if you're ashamed of parts of the Bible, your heart needs to come in alignment with the truth. And until it does, you've got work to do. You've got work to do. But don't shy away from it. Changing the Word of God so that people will think you're cool and so that they might join your little parade, it's fine, but it doesn't actually join the family of God because Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me and he defines him but we can say it with truth and we can say it with grace and you say it with tears welling up in your eyes as you love them and we should and we need help to do that so this is what evangelism is all about what is evangelism um, evangelism is teaching or heralding um, proclaiming pre preaching the gospel What's the gospel? It's the joyful message from God about what Christ has done through his life, death, and resurrection to lead us to salvation, to the God of joy, right? Um, but it doesn't end there. It's about calling people because there's, there's an aim to evangelism. What's the aim? Uh, it's the hope or the desire. There's a goal in evangelism to persuade, to persuade, to convince people to convert, Really? Yeah, that's exactly what evangelism is. I'm aiming that you'd believe. It seems like you're, you have an agenda. Yeah, I want you to believe. I, I want you to know the Christ. I want you to enjoy life with Him. This is why i got to tell you, uh, I, I hate, I loathe the word, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. That's the mantra of the church right now. We just don't want to offend anyone. You might cancel me. So silly. You must use words. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. You could be the most happy, slappy, nice person in the entire world. No one's going to come to faith in Christ because of that unless you open your mouth. You're like, oh, I'm terrified to do that. Join the club. There's ways to do it, though. Ask if they'll read a book with you. Ask if they'll go through a book with you. Ask if they would listen to a podcast. Ask if they'll come to church. I promise they'll hear the word of God. But there's going to come a point, man, if you'll just receive from Christ and, and just confess, I'm terrified to do this. Help. He'll help you. That's a good place to be. You should never just be like a cowboy or a cowgirl just going out there. I don't care. I'll tell anybody anything. You're probably going to do that in a bad posture. You're probably going to do that in a bad posture. If you're terrified to bring the word of God to bear on someone's life, that's probably exactly where you need to be. Because now it's not about you, it's about trusting God in that moment. I'm always anxious before that moment. Because you know that you're risking the friendship, you're risking the moment. But it's worth the risk. Words are always necessary. Sharing what God has done in the person. But, but, by the way, she's, she's going to have a testimony, right? Let, let's look at that real quick and, and we'll finish up here briefly. Verse 27 through 30 says this, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with this woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So look, so the woman left the water jar, and she went into town. Why was she there? Yeah, think that's kind of important? It's like going to the bacon shack and forgetting the bacon, right? It's like going to the iPhone store and leaving your new iPhone. Like, I know there's teens that are like, that's impossible. Yeah, but she, and adults, can I just tell you right now, I've been hanging out with some adults that are way more on their phones than the teens, so just throwing that out. My dad's one of them. Dad, if you're listening, you might want to check that. But, but here's the deal. She just, she met the Christ. She, she still needs water, but she met him. She's like, 
He knows everything. She takes off. And look what she said. She's gone into the town where no one wants anything to do with her. No one. And she goes to him and she says, come. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town and they were coming to him. By the way, listen, everyone's an evangelist. Everybody's an evangelist. You're all sharing things you're passionate about. I'm a great Pearl Jam evangelist. If you hang out with me for any amount of time, you're going to know about Pearl Jam. I'm going to introduce you to songs, and I'm going to try to convince you that your life is incomplete till you get on the Pearl Jam bus. And I've not been great at convincing people of that always, but that's because that's they're blind. Um, I've tried to convince many people they ought to watch the movie Pig this year. And, and, and I'm, I'm, still, I'm saying it now. Watch the movie Pig. Right? It's, it's phenomenal. It really shows the gospel real clearly. And if you don't see it, watch it again. Everybody's an evangelist. Everybody's seeking to convince somebody of something. The church ought to be the people who are so laboring with joy to, to introduce people to Christ. This isn't work. You get to do this. You get to do this. God wants to work in you and through you in this particular way. This woman was an outcast of outcasts, and yet she goes. Right now, she don't care. Why? Because she's met the Savior. She's met the only one who could actually satisfy her thirst. She's met him. She's met the man who satisfies her deepest longings. She understands where life is found, and it's found in Christ. And she wants more and more people to come and to taste and to see. Oh, the Lord is good. So, so what is evangelism? It's just getting people to Jesus. That's it. He's the one who satisfies. It's getting people to Christ. Jesus said this in John 7, 37 and 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. By the way, they were remembering their wandering in the wilderness when the rock would give water and God would supply manna. And Jesus stands up. If anyone thirsts, they're being reminded of God's faithfulness through the desert. He said, hey, anyone thirsty now? Let him come and drink. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's exactly what's happening with this woman. She's tasted, and now it's flowing out. It's one day. She didn't have evangelism training. She didn't go to a, a, a class. No, but she's met her Savior. She can't help but talk about him. The woman has drank deeply from the fountain of grace. There's rivers of living waters flowing. Can I, I just want to finish with this, and, and we'll be done here in just a moment. If you have zero desire to share the gospel with the people in your life, I'm not saying that you're anxious and you don't share it. That's a different category. You have no desire to share the gospel with the people that God has put in your life. You don't need a book on evangelism won't help you. You don't need a seminar on evangelism. won't help you. What you need is to spend time with Jesus and drink. You need to be satisfied in it. Because until you are, you won't tell anybody about Christ. It's just a fact. I do got to finish up this. I know I'm out of time, but who cares? I know I should, and I do. But I don't want you to miss this. The last scene, 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. She said it. I wonder how she said that. Why is that exciting? I'll tell you why. Because he still loved her. He knows everything about me. He still loves me. It's right now. He knows everything about you. And he loves you. Oh, she met the man who knew all. She'd met many men. And when they started to find things out about her, like, oh, you're that woman. Because we don't even know if she was scandalous in that way. Maybe all five of her husbands died, and that's why she's now with a different man. It could be that. But even then, she's the black widow. I mean, no one wants, I'm not marrying her. I know how this ends, right? Heard about John, Jim, Joe. Like, whew, she's a nice gal. Seems like it has a string of bad luck. But he knows. And he loves her. Come meet the man who knows me. And he loves me. You know me. And you don't love me. 
He knows me, and he loves me. Come, come see this man. Oh, so powerful. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. I bet they did. But he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They believed because of her testimony at first, at some level, but they needed more information. So Jesus hangs out with them for two days. And, and then it says, we believe because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. <laughs> and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. I want you to hear the last piece of the book of Revelation. Because I want, I, man, I want you to hear how it ends. He says this in Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride says, come. Come. And the one who hears says, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Right? Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This, is, this text is found in the last chapter of the Bible. It's the last command given in the Bible. And what is it? Come drink. Come drink. It's free. That's how grace works. Come, all who are thirsty, come, take hold of this water. It's the water of life, and it's free. It's without price. So my question, now I'm going to turn it to you. It's not about what you're doing. It's not about any of that. Are you thirsty? Are you weary? You can be in Christ and still thirsty. Can I just tell you that? You can be parched. You can be bone dry. Oh, I thirst. Are you weary? Are you exhausted from the burdens of life? Are you bone dry? Who here is thirsty? Because thankfully, the last cistern you've been drinking from came up broken again. You got to the sand. And it doesn't taste good. It's mud. My prayer for you this week is that God would make you thirsty for the right things. That he'd make me thirsty for the right things. So let's pray and ask him to do that. Father in heaven, we ask right now that you would make us thirsty for more and more of Christ. That, that we would be thirsty to be filled with the Holy Spirit in a very new and fresh way. Father, that we'd be thirsty for righteousness, that we'd be thirsty to be free from the things that entangle us, that we would, that we would thirst to be more aware of the deep understanding of what it means to be in Christ, that we'd be healed, that you would make us loving and whole just like you are, that we'd be thirst for the day that there's no more death, no more tears, that we'd be full of joy, that we'd thirst for the wedding feast of the Lamb where we'll never thirst again, and that we'd be thirsty for the day when no thing is broken and all things are new, Lord, that we would thirst for you. And from the drink that we receive, that from our hearts would flow rivers of living water to one another, to the city around us. Oh, Father, we ask that you'd magnify the great name of Jesus Christ in us and through us. For, for the joy of this city and for the good of your people, we ask that you do this in Christ's name. Amen.